sana, sana, colita de rana. You're listening to Sana Sana Podcast with Adriana and Adriana. Sana Sana is a queer feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health. Welcome to episode 13. Follow the episode with the hashtag Sana Sana. So surprise, episode 13. This is actually a bonus episode that we wanted to make sure to sneak into the last few days of 2018. We're really excited um, to be able to finally feature one of our earliest recorded interviews with Rosemary Magana. Um, we kept this one in the vault for a little longer than we both wanted, but actually it's probably the exact and perfect time to release it. Very true. Um, full disclosure, I do feel like this episode is embrujado. I tried to edit it a million and one times um, and it did not work. So um we just wanted to really um, make this available for everyone. Rosie is so amazing and she's just such a wealth of knowledge that we just didn't want to, you know, keep it away. That's right. It's time for our featured segment, Corazón a Corazón. Let's get to the heart of things with our special guest, Rosemary Magaña, licensed clinical professional counselor and advocate. My name is Rosemary Magana, but most people call me Rosie, um, and I am a licensed clinical professional counselor, so that means I have my master's in clinical counseling. I have it from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Um, I identify as a Chicana, Latina, um, first-generation college student is a huge part of my identity, especially right now because I work with college students, I think, and also a huge part of my identity is definitely um, being born of parents who immigrated here to the U.S. and first born here in the U.S. Um, also, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much who I am. Also, Chicago native. Chicago is a big piece of who I am. Um, raised, I was born and raised in Chicago, moved a little bit in the burbs for when I was little with my parents, but moved right back mm-hmm. to Chicago as soon as I possibly could um, and stayed here. <laughs> um, so that's that's a, a big, a big piece of kind of informs my work and who I am. But yeah, And I currently work at Northwestern University as a, a therapist there. I'm a professional counselor. I work in counseling and psychological services. So I provide provide services for the students there. So we provide brief individual therapy, group therapy. Um, We also help find resources in the community. So we have a pretty thorough resource list of therapists that we know and that we kind of vet out that we know are good resource identified for good resources for them. Um, I also, in my role, I'm liaison to the Latinx community. So I do a lot of workshops with Latino students um, or with the Latino student orgs. Um, I'm kind of just kind of that liaison to kind of help support them feel more comfortable mm-hmm. coming to counseling services because it um, it is a, a stigma and a little bit more difficult. I also work a lot with the first generation college students and those students that come from a lower socioeconomic um, background mm-hmm. because Northwestern um, has a very large history, a very long history of be, being predominantly white and just the class difference is... Oh my god, yes, definitely, as staff as well. Um, so that's just a little bit about mm. who I am. Awesome. And what I do, I guess. And 
I'm already like thinking of a million questions on everything you've just said, but we're gonna try to stick to a few like our our go tos at the beginning, right? and then we'll we'll, we'll dive deep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so another one of the questions that we ask everyone is, "What does healing mean to you?" Right, and if you want to share a little bit of how you've healed, you know what your healing journey is, or around you know that area, please do. I think healing has definitely evolved the way I think about healing, especially in the last probably two to three years in a huge way. Mm-hmm. I think before when I was younger, if he talked to me about healing, I'd be very concrete about it, right? Like healing an injury, very specific mm-hmm. to like this happened. So I did this to make it feel better. And now healing to me is an ongoing thing that's constantly happening, mm-hmm. right? So spending time with my friends, that's healing. Doing mm-hmm. this with you all, that's healing to me. Um, I think that we are getting hurt in various ways throughout the day, especially as um, identifying as a woman of color and then like the systems that we live in and just on a daily basis, things that we experience that are kind of hurting us um, makes me think like, okay, we're being hurt so consistently at different times and we should try to find ways to heal. So now when I do things, I I think of them as like, okay, is this helping me? Is this healing me? Um, Is it giving me energy? Is it helping? Also, Sometimes I have to just lay in bed and feel like crap because crappy things are happening and it's sad and I need to grieve mm-hmm. whatever pain and hardship I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, grief isn't just losing someone to this like life of like they're no longer on this earth, but grief is losing an experience, losing a relationship, the loss of a part of you that has been lost because it's changed and evolved to something else, mm-hmm. um, a transition in your life. So. I think the biggest change recently is learning that it's okay to bum around in my bed sometimes and watch Netflix all day and just to like cry sometimes and heal that way as long as that's not the only way I'm healing Mm -hmm. but giving me that space to do that too so I think that's the biggest piece because before it'd be like I don't want to feel this way like this is bad I need to go like cope in a different way I'm gonna talk to someone or I need to journal this immediately but sometimes I just need to sit there and cry mm-hmm. and feel crappy and snuggle with my blanket or my cat and and then and be okay with that and constantly tell me like this is okay this is healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been the most recent way I think of it. It's it's an and it's evolving journey and I think it's going to continue to mm-hmm. evolve. Sometimes I don't know something's healing until after I do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes I show up to a workshop that I do with students on stress management. And I've had a crappy day and I'm going to go talk to them about coping. And I do it. And in that conversation and in that interaction of seeing their passion for mental health, their passion for wanting to feel better or self-advocate or fighting a system that's oppressing them, I leave there feeling healed. Like it makes me feel good. And I sometimes don't like realize that's going to happen. So, so I think it's always changing. Mm-hmm. Damn. Um... Okay, so we'll do the other question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. That definitely... I'm just, like, thinking no, already. Yeah, I'm, not, like, I'm just reflecting, too. Just what you're how, saying. how important it is to talk about having space for grief. Um, I feel like we... Our last episode with Ben Dominicana, where she was talking about all these, like, wounds that we um, collect every day... Like, you have to constantly heal. So that's what it reminded me of. It's just like... And she said something along the lines that you did was that it's okay to feel this way. Like, when you're saying it's okay to grieve and to cry and all this stuff. Um, and that always 
hits uh, close to home because I often feel bad. I feel, um, I just, feel, I feel very bad and oh, it's, I just have to learn to, you know, feel okay with it and just accept it and move on. And like you're saying, it's not the only thing that I'm doing to heal, but it's, sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. yeah. It's very hard. Space for grief. Honoring grief, right? Because it's, it helps us um, move through the phase we're in. And so, like, really, instead of, I've been notoriously good at putting things in a box and not dealing mm. with it and not grieving, just continuing to, like, truck forward. And I think that um, a lot of the people that came before us had to do that for survival, right? Um, I, I, we had to do that, right? Mm-hmm. We all had to do that. There's no way we can get through, especially people who've gone through um, the education system. Mm-hmm in this country mm-hmm. um, I have this conversation with all my students at Northwestern oh, this boxing things up this pushing feelings inside this not allowing ourselves to grieve we did that for a reason it's not bad that you did it you did it because if you didn't do it you probably wouldn't be here right now mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have been able to study for that test mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't have been able to have done that speech you probably wouldn't have been able to deal with everyone the way they treated you and were different from you like so there's a reason why you did it i don't because i'm like then they start feeling bad oh i shouldn't have done. no like you did it because you had to and we still do it because we were having to survive mm-hmm. like you said people like our parents they they didn't have this extra space that maybe now we're having mm-hmm. to be able to have that conversation and heal and have safer spaces that we're creating for ourselves and fighting for ourselves mm-hmm. in a different way than maybe they did right. um but these are also the, the those were also strengths creating those boxes were strengths right because that's how like i know that i did i was like tunnel vision like in school and in college it was like my job was to go to school mm-hmm. work my butt off and get a good job and i never thought about like the things that some of these students even think about now because i didn't have time for that i didn't have time to cry and sit at home and like cry about something like that's that's a privilege Right, so but we course, think of it as a we privilege. think of it as a privilege. And now we're understanding that it isn't, and how important it is. Right. Well, I think that to that point, right, I can relate to what you're saying. Right, when I was in grad school, I had two jobs, and I had grad school. Right, so I had no time to do anything other than A to B, A to B, A to B, A to B. So now, when I have time to grieve and I feel bad, I feel guilt. Right, because I'm not used to it. Because exactly what both of you are saying, right? Putting all these things in boxes so I can get to the goal, which was graduate, hopefully get a job, move on, have a career. And now there's more space and it's just, it just feels weird. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 I always feel guilty about it. Yeah, I don't believe in creating that space sooner. Mm-hmm. And how can we do that? Yeah. And how can we help others to create that space mm-hmm. and better that sooner? Because right. they're going to be so much better off when they get older and already have that space. Right? <laughs> like, Absolutely. <laughs> right? Right. So how do we do that? It's complicated. Well, so many of the questions we have for you are based in the fact that we have a Latina therapist in the room. Like, hey, <laughs> right? Like, that's every time I talk about you, because I talk about you all the time. As my, I'm very proud to have you as my friend. Um, Same. I tell people, you about you all the time. <laughs> people are like, you know, a Latina therapist? Does she take people? And I'm like, oh, well, she's at Northwestern. Like, she, she most of her clients are students, or her, you know, people that she works with are students. Um, so I think there's a real hunger, right, for oh, yeah. for people who are either Latinx or um, identify as a person of color 
to just have a therapist that looks mm. like them has been through a similar experience or at least has worked with, at some point you you have to like make successions right and like i at least have you worked with my community and know like my community in and out right like you start to make so we're going to get into all of that okay. but i would really love to just hear how you decided to get into this work because i don't think i've ever heard that story Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, oh. we're going to go there. Yes, yeah. Super personal. We're yes. going to go through like my college essays. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's it. Corazón a corazón. You know, it comes from your heart. There's probably three big life, like there's this specific situation and then like two big life situations that kind of made me think I wanted to go through this. I've, I am very weird in the fact that like I knew I wanted to get into this field when I was little. Wow. I'm talking about like little. Um, I when I was little, I was growing up in Little Village, and we lived there. And in about second or third grade, we moved out to Oakland, a southwest suburb, and it was predominantly white. So I went. I thought everybody spoke Spanish, by the way, until I got there. I'm like, why don't you speak Spanish? What's wrong with you? I don't understand. That's and awesome. I and I became like show and tell. Like everybody thought I was this crazy like different not crazy but like amazing new thing like you know all these different things anyways what i observed really quickly is um the differences in the resources and how people treated you mm. um and i very always i've always been very observant in how people treat children or people treated me or others like if you behaved a certain way you got treated a different way and what i noticed very early on was that in certain schools or certain atmosphere in certain environments like the bad kid was the bad kid, like the person, who, the child that was acting out, couldn't focus, couldn't concentrate, was kind of like this bad kid. And they were labeled that mm. and they got in trouble a lot. And then other classrooms, they had some like learning disorder, attention deficit, like they had something and then they would help them. Mm. So both people would have the same behavior, but in one place they'd get help and the other one they'd be punished. Mm. And I'm like, what's going on? So then I started thinking like, I really want to help those people who aren't getting help. I want to give them the resources they deserve to, to have. And I also realized how much more resources the school I was in in the suburbs had than where I was when I was younger. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing was um, I have, well, I had an older brother who passed away a couple years ago and we were raised in the same house. Um, we have similar personalities, but we are different. And as early, he got into a lot of trouble very early on. I think moving from the city to the burbs was hard for him. We moved from seventh grade to eighth grade. Mm. I think he possibly struggled with ADHD. He possibly struggled with other possible mental health, depression, maybe other things. And he got into drugs and doing pretty bad things early on. So most of my life was dealing with having a, a brother who had a substance abuse problem, who I love very, very much, but was just a hard home to be raised in mm. because I was constantly worried about his health. And I always just thought, like, why do you act the way you act? And why do I act the way I act? And why do I make the choices I make and you make the choices you make? Because I definitely, there was times where I was like, yes, when I, was, I got older, yes, I understand why I would want to take something that makes everything feel better because this sucks. But I would make the choice of, like, digging my head into books and um, avoiding he was avoiding and I was avoiding, but I avoided with clubs and volunteering somewhere and like mm -hmm. and studying and like I avoided that way. And mm -hmm. that's how I started putting things into boxes. He did it in a different way. Mm -hmm. But both ways aren't helpful. Both ways are hurtful. Just his way is 
much worse you have worse consequences quicker my consequences are probably more like interpersonal relationships weren't that great i was kind of more isolated things like that so i always was just like i want to figure that out and i want to figure out how to help him and i also just want to know how to help people and i was just always interested in differences and why people do what they do i started out thinking i was gonna work with children Mm. And I started working with DCFS. I volunteered once with high school, the Sisters of Mercy. Um, they had like a, a home, a Mercy home. And we volunteered one day and they would bring, I'm assuming I was young, so I don't remember all the details of the, the background, but they would bring probably children who were recently taken from their homes there. Mm. And I was placed in like the little baby room, like with the little kids, like who were like one or two. Oh. Um, and this little boy was brought there. And he had just gone there that day and he didn't want to eat and he didn't want to, he just looked so scared and sad. And I spent the whole day with him, like trying to like support him and help him and talk to him, like try to like play with him. And finally, at some point he finally smiled and laughed. And it was like the most awesome thing in the world. <laughs> and I think that was also something was like, I want to support these children who just need love and support and how can I help them? Um, so I think, a lot of how I was raised and my experiences and my observations has just, I've always been curious and I've always wanted to help. And I think psychology is, also, is about being curious about people and also wanting to help and support mm-hmm. others. So I know that I went through a couple of different things, but. No, that, that awesome. makes sense why you are here. And that's genuinely it, why. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, so now you're working with college students. Yes. And I went to Northwestern, so I know what that looks like and feels like. But maybe not even as much as some of your students are like really feeling and going through. Because I, I went to Northwestern as a grad student, and I was an adult grad student. Like Now grad students, a lot of them are still very young people. I was uh, 30, so past the brain development age, right? <laughs> still a kid in many ways. Still very like... Um, uh, stunted in a lot of ways, but uh, I've grown a lot in the last eight years. Yeah. Um, but I went there as an adult, so worked, right? Um, was only in a year program. So I know, like, what I went through, I was able to see things, but it was I was a little more detached and had already built up my own support networks so that a lot of the trauma that grad school inflicted on me was not really felt till I had left and was able that that program is true it's trauma traumatic (laughs) it's like super intense I know exactly what program you're talking about so that said though I want to talk a little bit about why your work is so important um because at least everyone here in the room right we all have our master's degrees um I'm the first in my family to get a master's me too you too um, I, I'm depends like what you define as family. I guess okay. like how extended cousins are we going? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true too. Because I have, I do have cousins who have who are lawyers in Mexico, yeah. but in my immediate family. I'm oh like, yeah, in my immediate family. Yes, my immediate family. Um, first, first in my family, my dad went to college um, in Mexico, so I was it the first college student. Um, but here in the U.S., a lot of firsts right navigating the systems how does this how does it work how do you apply and all that right and then once you're in the institution just like the lack of support and services that there are for you to feel supported and even to know like what a lot of the time I didn't know what I needed yes that is huge right so I would love to just 
hear about what you've been learning as someone who works specifically to support Latinx students. What have you learned since you've been in this role? I learned so many things that I, I wish I knew, right, when I was in college. Like, I was first-generation college student, and, like, you don't know what you need when you've never done something you've never done. And there are resources. Like, that's the, the amazing thing about Northwestern is that they have resources. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you don't even know that they're there, mm-hmm. and you don't know to ask for them. Um I was very excited to have this position. I was not looking for a job. Someone sent it to me, and I was like, might as well try. Let's see. And I got in. I love what I do, and I, I love where I do it. Northwestern, I, as a senior in high school, I walked to the campus to see if I wanted to go there, and I literally was like, this place is not for me because mm-hmm. it's so intimidating to me. And I'm someone who went to, like, predominantly white schools my entire life. It's not like I was like, oh, my God. It's just... It's just too... It's in a whole other class. The thing that I've noticed the most in Northwestern, it's in, it, of course, the, there's the race piece, but the classism mm-hmm. is what stands out, even as staff. Mm-hmm. The, they don't just got money. They got money. Like, you're going, to, you're going to class with students who are, like, sometimes children of, like, famous people or who have already gotten their own fashion line because, you know, their parents probably funded it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's insane um and northwestern is really working hard to bring in more students of color students first generation um yes and the students really advocate for themselves but it is a hard hard place to just navigate on your own every single day um from the fact that professors don't know what it is to have someone who doesn't have resources so they'll like assign like packets you have to buy like a bunch of different books or like um, field trips you have to take into the city and cost money or like extracurricular activities all cost money like everything costs money um, there are resources on campus that help support you and I definitely have a conversation with students on a regular basis like Northwestern brought you here and they want you to thrive so we're going to figure out what we need to find you and I'm going to find someone to get it for you so you can have the same experience as everyone else but it's just exhausting I mean, exhausting. Not to mention recently what I've been hearing a lot more from my Latino students is we have a lot of Latino students who struggle with family, not struggle, but are are having this pressure, this feel, this sadness about having family members who are undocumented Mm -hmm. um, and what that looks like. Or or something I took for granted, which my parents immigrated and had the privilege of an administration that provide them a way to get papers eventually like these students are their entire life they thought about how when I turn 21 I'm gonna get my parents papers and now I can't Mm -hmm. it's and it's a trauma Mm -hmm. it is and it's um, it's almost impossible for me to sit there and not tear up right because it's so sad Mm -hmm. it's so sad and now not only are they doing that but they're like taking Organic chemistry, that's like the one of the hardest orgo classes in the nation is Northwestern's. And dealing with like friends who don't understand what they're going through or professors who say things that aren't very helpful or call on them to speak for their entire ethnicity group. Right. Um, it's just amazing what these young women and young men are going through and what they do. 
And I love what I do because when I get there, I'm like, we're going to find resources yeah. and I'm going to help you get through this because you all are going to get through this. You're going to graduate with this degree and you're going to kick some butt. Like you are the ones who are going to start continue changing and making changes. Yeah. But God, like the resources are there. But if you don't know what to ask for them. Yeah. And that's what I want to actually follow up with is the students that find you and come to talk to you like what is that process like because I feel like I'm familiar with a lot of resistance to therapy in general um, from our communities right um, like even a personal like get getting to a place where you're like I'm gonna accept therapy um, what does that look like in a university setting yeah, like what are the what are the barriers that are there? Is the stigma the same as we see like outside of the university? Um, if you can talk a little bit about, because I know that when I went to DePaul, I could only get therapy, like a certain amount of uh, therapy sessions individually, and then a certain amount um, with group therapy after that. And then they were like, "Here, let me refer you out." So you're going to have to do that. So is that the same situation uh, in Northwestern? Is that the same? everywhere like in higher ed so if you can talk a little bit about that that would be yeah awesome. there's a few pieces there mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um so definitely um higher ed counseling services the use of them has skyrocketed and every year the it goes up and up the numbers and the, what goes up to is the number of crises crises go up and up and um counseling centers um ours and others we're not we can't we're not built to be able to provide the treatment for everyone like we'd probably need like a hospital right yeah. like and all these like <laughs> and like an intensive program and this and that and that so usually they're mostly based in brief therapy models ours is we used to have a session limit but um that's it just it's arbitrary to have like 12 sessions like what does that even mean what's good therapy and that it's and we didn't change what we did we still did do continue to do the same thing but now we we kind of call it what it is which is brief therapy so um we provide brief individual therapy we provide group therapy and we also have relationships with community providers that we vet out and that we seek out to make mm -hmm. more diverse of our resources out there um and so that way we're not just sending people to anyone like we know who they are and we're trying to make the best match so when you in order to connect with um caps which is what the acronym is over at uh, you have to do like a phone consultation first and you can schedule that yourself by calling or online and that's just like a really brief like 10 minute we're just trying to figure out how quickly you need to get in like mm -hmm. this week next week are you in crisis um you can also we have i coordinate let's talk which is informal consultation that happens all over the the campus now we have five locations um and especially in areas where we think maybe it's more stigmatized like i'm at the, the multicultural center on wednesdays we have someone at the international office we have someone at the women's center we have someone at the black house and someone at the library where you can just come in and informally talk to one of our therapists um and from there you can get services or you cannot maybe you just wanted to talk real quick right and we're taking it outside of that counseling center that can feel mm -hmm. very intimidating mm -hmm. um i think that that's a wonderful program um or from a workshop like i do a workshop and you come up to me if you already came up to me i might just set you up with me like i'm not gonna have you go through this whole system again um because we're trying to break down those barriers so when i started okay the stigma so this is my theory and the thing i talk to the students in workshops about there is a stigma of like you go to therapy when you're crazy right and you're going to get diagnosed or the reality we have a, a, um, sometimes like, oh, they're going to send me to the hospital or something. And it's in test attempts. I usually say how like it's not so much about the diagnoses, but what you're feeling and we all deserve to feel better. Mm. So it's not so much that you have de the major depressive disorder, but it's that you're having these symptoms and like 
that's not doesn't feel good so what can we do to help you not feel that way um and and therapy can help you with that um i think what i've seen more than stigma with especially with this younger generation is especially with uh like people of color or like my latino students is that when you struggle and push through your whole life you don't know what is just like what you got to struggle through and when you got to ask for help if you know life is a struggle and you just got to push through it then when do you ask for help when is too much too much and that's why i have this conversation whenever you're not feeling good and you want to feel better you can ask for help it doesn't but we're so used to that you just kind of push through you just kind of push through like life yeah. just kind of sucks you know it sucks i don't have all these resources so I, but like when is the line that like that's too much and now you need to ask for help and i try to support them in like all the time <laughs> like whatever it is like come over and we can talk when i started i'm there now for four or five years for it's gonna be four years in april um when i started they asked me how are you gonna do this job how are you gonna make sure that you kind of create that support how you create those relationships and the reality is um with the latino community and other communities you just have you have to show up you have to show your face like to gain trust you have to be there in person um so i tried to go like student group meetings if there was like any kind of events i was there i was introducing myself i was at the multicultural center at least for a whole day a week um and i also connected with the people that they trusted right so i'm connecting with the multicultural a student affairs staff now we have social justice education we have anybody from campus inclusion community i connected with latino studies department and those perf- um program and they're not a department working there not a department they're a program um and those professors and i like went out of my way to introduce myself because if they trust me and the students trust them then they're going to send them to me so it's all about facetime yeah and that could be exhausting yeah. like my first year was it was hard you know and my um leadership was like supporting me on you know taking some time of not doing evenings but i'm like that's the at first is what i got to do i got to get my face out there and then as we hired more um roles like mine we, we hired someone that's like a liaison to black and african-american students we had hired a liaison to asian asian american students i would take them with me mm-hmm. and then i was like this is this person like let me show like very um just trying to make those connections and to be completely honest I feel really good about my relationship right now with students. I get referrals from students. Like last mm. year probably was the first time that at the beginning of the year was like my friend told me that my sister told me that that I could see you like and I started getting these emails. Oh. Um and before then I was getting staff like staff will directly send people to me. There's a student from working with like student enrichment services which provide services for first generation students and um Uh, lower socioeconomic background students so i they go directly to me so they don't have to do the whole other process of like going through the system and i'm really open to doing that um and at the beginning i wanted to start a latino student support group but like when i would do workshops no one would show up if i just set them up right. now like the the, the fraternity sorority life latino sororities are i mean i'm doing workshops whenever i can but they're always sending me requests like i never set up my own workshop I do them through student groups. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started making those connections. But recently what I found out is I need to start the Latino support group because I'm talking to the students. Students know who I am. Professors know who I am. They like, "Oh, I heard about you. My students are always talking about you." And like, my heart just like, "Yes, I'm doing my work." I walk into the multicultural center and people are like, "Hey, Rosie, hey, Rosie." I'm like, "Yes, you all know who I am. This is awesome." And they're the ones that are like, "Yeah. Do the support group. We'll go." Yeah. People are going to go mm-hmm. if you do it. I'm like, "Are you sure?" Cuz like, I know that it no. Like we they're like so thirsty mm-hmm. 
for it. And I think now that I've kind of shown up and they know who I am, I can do it. I, I'm so excited around the, like, the place I am mm. at Northwestern that I've been here. Like, I know people in all the years, like, and they're amazing. I don't know if I got to everything, but... I want to... Something that you talked about. So, I love the way that you talk about feeling better and, like, using therapy to help you just feel better, right? And I was even thinking about, like, how do I try to stigmatize this idea of therapy? And I'm always like, therapy's for everyone. Everyone needs therapy, especially... Uh, if you come from a community of color or especially if you're a woman because of just yes. the way we're navigating through the world, right? The, the constant, like, barrage of things that you're yes. being. So you might feel okay. Mm-hmm. You you might have been really good at numbing whatever is going on. You might feel like you're okay, but if therapy is for everyone, once you're in there, you're like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that I need to talk through, right? Yeah. Um, so I, one thing... With my therapist, I always ask them, are you in therapy? So I'm asking you, are you in therapy? Yes, I am. I actually came from therapy before I came here. And it's, I went in a little bit later than I probably should have, considering also this is what I do. But it's been awesome. I think also I struggle because sometimes it's hard to find. When you're a therapist, I think it's hard to find a therapist. Yes. So why is that? No, that's what I actually wanted to ask you. <laughs> this is why I asked you if you're in therapy. So what... Um, what do you use so we want to do it like five tips or any you know not necessarily five but like what tips do you have for people who seek therapy outside of students so for yourself like what did you what questions did you ask to know like okay this is the right person because I think a lot of people don't realize you can do that when you are looking for therapy yes I tell my students like you're interviewing them too and just because they went to school doesn't mean they know what they're talking about or they know, like, they're the right fit for you. Sometimes they're just not the right fit. I think there's a, there's a, like, a actual, there's two pieces to that, right? Because there's, it's hard to find a therapist because we don't, because of insurance and paying for it and we're limited on that. So, like, that in itself is hard. Like, where do I go to seek that? Psychologytoday.com has is a website where you can um, look for therapists and you can filter um, the type of therapist identities and also insurance and then zip code so that's like just like a basic search engine so like I did that right it's it was it's hard for me and like I can't go to therapists who like where my students go because that's just gonna mess with me <laughs> and this, this has to be my space mm-hmm. right but also there aren't that many women of color and it just was hard like I just started I wanted a woman of color. My therapist right now is not a woman of color, but she is a woman. Um, And that's what I first, and that filters out a bunch, like a whole lot. Um, And then with me, I'm more of a gut feeling kind of person. I'm not really good at explaining steps, Um, but I definitely um, also read their bios. And because I know what therapy is like, I know what I'm looking for. Mm. So I do that for a lot of students, like they'll, and for friends and family, like they'll send me some bios and I'll be like, let me know that person's like, you know, I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. And that's just like too, you guys wouldn't be a good match. Like that sounds like they're the, you know, a little too much out there and you're like, you're going to want a little more structure. Think about what you like, what makes you feel good. Do you like to just have a space of just go talk, talk, and now it's your space? Do you like to be challenged mm-hmm. and confronted? Um, I think good therapy should confront you, but how much of that do you like? Um, do you need tools, like structured tools, like more solution focused, like try this coping and try this? Um, or do you want more just pure talk, right? So when I talked to my therapist, I wanted to know what her lens was and how she sees treatment. 
um, how she how she does therapy and in what like so I talk about how I'm like trauma informed systems based attachment so I really believe that you know your relationships from early on really affect your relationships from now and like speak to how you relate with others um, systemic meanings like we're, we just live in all these systems and they're affecting us so we can't ignore them so we should always acknowledge them when we're talking meaning I have them in my head and I'm thinking about it you don't have to be thinking about it um, and just trauma informed because there's all this hurt mm-hmm. and I see that as trauma and how is that affecting your decisions um, so that they'll explain that to you and they should they should tell you what the, what is therapy going to look like with you mm. what is this going to look like when I come in here every day what do you expect from me what are your expectations of what I say of like how I'm going to talk like and then I think that's easier if you've never been to therapy. So I know what therapy is. I let her know what my expectations were <laughs> and the type of person I was and what I respond to most, which is I do want you to support me. But if you sit there and you nod this whole time and tell me how awesome I am and you just keep like patting me on the back, like I'm not going to believe anything you say and I'm not going to trust it. Like I need you to call me out on my stuff. I want you to like reflect back what I'm not seeing or that I don't want to see. Even if you think it's gonna be like a little hurtful, like that's just how I, that's how I function, cause and, th- and that's what I know about me. And and she did a great job. And she also is a feminist like approach, which is also like systemic and knowing about. That's awesome. So I actually went to I asked I found a, a Latina woman and then in her she didn't have availability, but she's like oh we just hired this person and I'm like oh she's a white woman, <laughs> I don't know. And, like, I, she's awesome and amazing and wonderful. But I definitely was, like, mm-hmm. So, and she, you know, and you acknowledge the differences. And I forget. Like, I just talk, like, whatever with her. And it feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to be in a space that's just for you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my first session, all I did was just, like, But definitely, I think it's good. If you don't feel comfortable... If you think they're not listening or they don't get you, if you have to explain, I think an old school way of multicultural counseling was um, ask, be curious, ask, ask your client about their culture. And it's like, yeah, I didn't come here to teach you about my culture. Right. I'm paying you and now I'm teaching you. Right. That's not how it works. Like, And I think that that is also like a barrier, right? Because I don't, I want someone that understands already my lived experience obviously not exactly because that's never going to happen but like some major concepts at least right like immigration like yeah migration immigration like being a woman being a woman of color like those are like i can't really explain some of those things to you Mm -hmm. i want you already to know it and to be able to support me or have lived through some of that yourself and i think that that's the challenge that's where the challenge comes in because there's not a lot of um latinas therapist out there but there's work that they can do to understand and then they can tell you that they understand but i do believe that there's only so far if you don't share a certain identity there's only so far that that person can take you they can definitely help a lot but there's only so far in certain pieces that they can take you and i recognize that as my identities that i hold when i work with some students i've had some great work with um gay identified males but i also know that there's like this i can get you to a surprise but there's this piece that, I, that I'm not ever going to understand because I don't hold that identity. That doesn't mean I can't help you and we can't have great therapy, but I, it would be a disservice to me not to recognize that and not to encourage you to maybe, after we're done, if you're open to it, seek out and let me help you find someone who might be able to um, do that with you. Um, but like my therapist, 
she's a white woman and she and I could tell very early on she was trying to let me know I understand systems of oppression I understand this like you know like she because she did her work on that piece right she asked some questions and yeah you can ask some questions but I'm not here to teach you mm-hmm. and the resources are limited they are not I will eventually be doing a private practice and hopefully a group practice if mm. they can that's awesome that is it will be booked from the beginning <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit about um you just going back a, a little bit so much of what you do with your students is social justice work yes from your personal like life's mission did, did you recognize that like no I didn't before I worked at Northwestern I did not um, I definitely did not um, and now I completely recognize it and I it's empowering and amazing and and I think that as a part of our self-care as um, people of color women whatever identity that might be you know oppressed <laughs> if you're not like white heterosexual cisgender mm-hmm. you know um, is in order to self-care is to take ownership and empower yourself with social justice advocacy activism whatever that looks like you don't need to be out there and protesting for that to be but taking power trying to take power over something that people took away from you i went to the um the latino behavioral health conference um, recently and our speaker talked about like if you're not talking about social justice in therapy then you're um, doing a disservice to your client if they you know, hold one of these identities because research shows that um, us is supporting people and seeking out social justice in their own way, whatever that looks like, actually alleviates all symptoms of like you know, like depressive anxiety, all of them. So you can't just not bring it in the room. Sometimes therapists are like, "Well, that's their decision. We don't need to talk about social justice activism or like what that looks like." You know, like that's something separate, and it isn't because they they are like they are living it every day mm-hmm. and it's a piece of their healing maybe they don't recognize it yet you're not there to, you don't have to tell them that's what they have to do but like you should be mentioning it or just like hey what's going on how do you do you know so yeah i yeah and i also think like i'm helping all these pocs get you know get this you know get this degree and then they're going to be doing awesome work <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're gonna get you out there exactly <laughs> What resources um, are there? I think that was what Adriana had mentioned in one of the questions back, but I don't know if we fully uh, got to it, was what resources are there for students once they're done at GAPS? Or even once they're done at Northwestern. When they're done at, when they're done at like if they go outside of CAPS, like we support students in, in just finding whatever resources they need. Um, I think you have a little more resources at at Northwestern because if you are a student who is of financial need, the school is um, dedicated to making sure that you're at Northwestern and having a good experience, so they will help find support if it's what's needed for you to thrive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I tell them, like, this is probably the only time you're going to be able to do get the best mental health treatment you're ever going to get. Not at CAPS, maybe somewhere else, probably, right, like, more intensive or whatever, because we know insurances cost outside of Northwestern is so limited. It is horrific trying to find resources for therapy outside. It's, you have to be rich to get good treatment for substance abuse. You only, you will survive substance abuse if you have money. You're more likely to. 
in certain places because substance abuse treatment especially is so expensive the really good kind that exists it's really really expensive and other mental health treatment it's really really sad there's stuff out there but you need you need to know how to look for it right well it's even like thinking how we've as a government and society have uh reacted to the opioid crisis right well why did we react to it because rich people started dying from it Mm -hmm. pocs and poor people have been dying for it for a long time but now rich people are dying rich white people so now it's a crisis right and now we all care about it and there's all these services and support for it i'm like i'll take them (laughs) me too (laughs) give them to me if that's how we're gonna get them give them to me Me but like let's acknowledge that that's what's happening right yeah Oh, it's um, it's just stories old as time, right? Yeah, that happens all the time through many different. You know, it is very annoying. But yeah, it feels like sad and hopeless when you talk about resources outside of you know when you're in a university that provides that. There are many. Most colleges are going to have resources for you, and um, I would just always suggest like to. I push yourself to ask for them and if you're talking to someone in one office that isn't giving you the right answer or that answer that's helpful talk to someone else in that office or talk to someone who you know is an advocate for you and maybe in a different office who can find and help you so like that I tell my students all the time maybe you don't want to come to me for counseling but you're having a hard time in an office that they're not treating you appropriately mm-hmm. let me know I'll find someone who's gonna help you yeah like, so but yeah leaving those spaces and like being out here in this real world is sad yeah they're out there um but not many especially spanish in spanish yeah oh god well we're approaching the end um but we do want to ask because you work so hard um and your the the kind of work is so involved emotionally mentally physically spiritually right how do you set up boundaries how do you practice self-care um, I go to therapy, which is awesome. I have the most amazing support system of people made up of family and friends, y'all, um, that I don't think I could be as successful or thriving like I do sometimes. I don't feel like I'm thriving, but, you know, I do, um, if it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. I have my friends who we talk about. Um, pretty intense subjects for self-reflecting. Um, I have my friends who are, you know, our therapists who like really work me out, and then work we work on that. And then I have, you know, my cousins who have been there since I was, since they were born. So a lot of them are younger since I was born. For those who are older, who just got me, and who can help me just be like, fuck it, stop thinking about this shit, and let's just like do something else, <laughs> like you know, and and having all those people in my life and my parents who I love very much and sometimes you know I think growing up with parents who are immigrants who immigrated here it's it's hard because we come from very different places and evolve in ways that maybe they don't always agree with that I evolve in <laughs> um, but who love and who bottom line love and support me and their passion for loving and support me is the focus and how amazing that is um, I just have a lot of love in my life. I set a lot of boundaries. Like we talked about, I have some paperwork to do, but I'm like, I don't want to do paperwork at home. <laughs> like This is my home. This is like where I hang out. Um, I try to leave work at decent times. I try not to feel bad when I'm like just binge watching Netflix. Um, 
I've gotten really good at being present with clients when I'm there, mm. but I've also gotten really good at like shutting that down when I leave. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like careful. I'm careful about it, but if not, I can't sleep and I can't be me if I don't do that. Um, but yeah, people, people in my life have family and people. Well, Rosie, it has been such an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. Being I'm so happy me. you all are doing this. Me I too. love it. I tell everyone about it. Aww, <laughs> we knew. I knew you were kickass before, but I'm just like still thinking about everything that you've shared with us, and I'm so grateful. You're listening to Sana Sana Podcast, a queer feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana. I'm so glad that everyone got to hear Rosie in her own words. Um, thank you, friend. We really appreciate you coming on and again, just being an amazing resource uh, for us and for the entire Sana Sana community. You're listening to Sana Sana episode 13. We hope you enjoyed this interview. We'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us and comment with hashtag Sana Sana. Colita de Rana is medicine. In this week's Botica, we wanted to make sure to shout out Therapy for Latinexes. Therapy for Latinexes leverages technology to serve as a national mental health resource for the Latinx community by working with licensed therapists across the country. We definitely recommend that you check out their website, therapyforlatinex.com, and their Instagram page as well. We'll link to both of those in the show notes, as well as um, a few other links that Rosie had provided us that um, can guide and help your meditation practice. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sana Sana Podcast, written and co-hosted by Adriana and Adriana. Our theme song is by Alina Celeste. Our cover art features a photograph by Tanto Jensen. Special thanks to this episode's guest, Rosie Magaña. Join the conversation. Follow Sana Sana on Facebook and Instagram at Sana Sana Podcast. Send us love letters to sanasanapodcast at gmail.com. Sana Mañana. Sana Mañana. Woohoo. We just banged through that.